This week on Just Like That, the number one Mike Goldberg-inspired podcast on the planet, we will recap UFC Fight Night Lewis vs. Dawkins. In our final episode of the year, we'll recap and review our JLT 2020 Best of the Year awards, and we will hit you with our JLT 2021 Best and Worst of the Year awards. Here we go. Here we go. Recap of the year. Last episode of 2021. We got a card to recap and then we got a whole year to recap. So a lot of recapping here. Um, but before we start our recaps, we do have a take of the week. So Ryan, as always, take us away. Yeah, so we'll go to the uh, the world of celebrity boxing for this take. And uh, I'm sure everybody's seen it by now or at least seen the uh, replay. But uh, Tyron Woodley. Completely embarrassed himself and uh, ruined his entire reputation he built up over over years in MMA uh, on Saturday night. Just in a, in about a few seconds when he that punch landed. I mean, that was one of the worst knockouts I've I've seen. I mean, worse than like he got straight up knocked out cold. I mean, he just didn't see it coming, fell straight to the ground. You know, as soon as he got a hit, body stiff as a board fall straight on his face that I mean that uh the angle of the with the overhead camera was just completely ridiculous and he's just laying there stiff as a board just arms down face down like he became the man that was that was so bad I mean from what this entire fight was absolutely awful to watch like I I watched it I watched it at a friend's house but uh yeah but um it was uh, it was just a brutal fight to watch. It was incredibly boring up until that point. The best part was when Tyron Woodley thought it was a uh, an MMA match and uh, slammed Jake Paul to the ground. He hit him with the takedown. Um, did you see that? That was that was insane. Yeah, he also hit him and, with a nice uh, elbow. Did he? Yeah, that's I didn't a, see that. That was one. the cut on the forehead that he had. Was from oh really? I thought they said it was an elbow, but like then the commentators were saying they watched the replay and it was actually a clash of heads. But oh maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. I watch I watched it too um, on my phone, but it was uh it was nice because the the UFC event ended so early. It was like an early ending event, so uh, it wasn't like you had to double dip or like pick one or the other. So nothing going on. Might as well tune into it. Yeah, I think I uh, I tuned in when. Uh I, like halfway through the uh, Darren Williams versus uh, Frank Gore fight, I think is when I got on there. So um, that fight wasn't bad. By the time I tuned in, it was only a four-round fight, I think. And by the time I got in, they both seemed pretty tired. But, um, I mean, Darren Darren Williams seemed like he was clearly winning the fight. He seemed a little bit better, although Frank Gore seemed like he had a little bit of some power. He just, uh, just seemed like Darren Williams, like we said. He was just like the lock of the night and I think he was an underdog so I probably should have bet that but I completely forgot about it um yeah and uh he just pieced him up so then uh, I watched that chick fight that one chick was just a can and just uh yeah that one that other chick just beat the shit out of her and then Tyron Woodley just gets you know one of the most brutal knockouts I mean in MMA we see knockouts like this from time to time right it's not completely unheard of but in boxing I can't remember the last time I saw somebody you know he did it's not like Woodley gotten dropped a bunch of times first, like first knockdown to get dropped as stiff as a board like that. I, I don't think I've ever seen that. I mean, I don't watch a ton of boxing either, but um, I, I don't remember ever seeing highlights of anything like that in like in boxing, really. 
Imagine grinding your way up from Strike Force to the UFC to the Welterweight Championship, defending it four or five times, to getting flatlined by a YouTuber on a, on a rematch you demanded while getting the person's name it's, tattooed uh, on you. Yeah, it's a crazy world we live in. And it's like, you know, Woodley was like, you know, I'm not going to do what I did last time. You know, I know what I got to do to win. I got to throw more volume. We knew, we knew that did, wasn't going to happen. Yeah, like... You know, obviously you can say it, but once he gets in there, he just can't do it. I don't know if there's a mental block with this guy, if he just doesn't want to do it, or, you know, if uh, if that, you know, if that knockout uh, bonus that Jake Paul was offering was actually for if Tyron <laughs> Woodley gets knocked out, he gets 500 Some confusion and there. And if not, you know, they said, they made it seem like it was if Tyron Woodley knocks out Jake Paul, he gets an extra 500K, but I'm not so sure if it wasn't the other way around or both, you know? Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty ugly. Yeah, he became the meme he swore he would never become. And he created his own. He created the meme. I mean, I get it. You wanna? Yeah, he's kind of getting out ahead process, of it a little bit, right? But I get the thought process. Like, you don't want to be that salty guy, but also like to commission your own memes. Like, once the memes come out, you just kind of laugh with them, right? That's the way to do it. You don't you don't commission your own memes. Like, that's a little over the top, I think. Yeah, he uh, he was trying to get out ahead of it, but he might have like he's trying to do damage control, but he might have just done a little more damage, maybe a little damage control, but also like more damage on top of it. Yeah, right. Yeah, damage control is like you control the damage. You don't go out and and create the damage. Yeah, exactly. Like a little ridiculous. I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, he's probably doesn't. His brain cells aren't all there. They're not all in order. He's probably suffering from a severe concussion. So, Definitely. I mean, we can we could kind of understand his uh, his questionable decision making in the uh, in the meme space post fight. Yeah, I mean, once your mom laughs at you in the ring, then you're pretty much. Oh, oh my God! Is that the most brutal picture you've ever seen? I that's my take of the week, actually. That's like, the meme right there. Mom, yeah, Mama Woodley has got the entire world tricked into thinking she's this old sweet grandma who's like so nice and she's just obviously a conniving like evil old woman like how could she possibly that is i've never laughed that hard in my entire life as she's laughing right there and that's while her son's crying she's laughing with 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 the guy who knocked out her son and his mom yep the hardest laugh i've ever seen laughed and while tyron woodley's in a daze you know possibly suffering from cte or you know who knows or a severe concussion and uh, on the verge of tears and she's having the time of her life like two people over from him it's uh that's just that's just evil that's not right well i you had to be suspicious when she was uh hugging hugging usman after he beat tyron that one t- one night telling him he did a great job and stuff maybe she was uh rooting against tyron all along right it just seems like it now it's at first it just seemed like she's like a good sport you know yeah like, you know she just given some advice to the new champion or whatever and, and it just seemed like you know the sweet old lady but you know looking back hindsight's twenty twenty, right we with the information we have now she might she might act yeah be actively rooting against her uh, her own son you're right she was praying on his downfall all along yeah she must like her other children much better. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Well, another circus though, but I think this will put an end to the Woodley, uh, the Woodley boxing drama. At least he got himself a little resurgence, made a little money, cost him in the long run, but, um, probably yeah, what kind of tattoo does he need to get to get the trilogy? I, I think the beef is settled. 
<laughs> I think he'll have to be fighting on the undercard now. Hopefully not, though. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, we need him to retire. Yeah, well, I mean, retirement's almost worse because then he's rapping. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. He just needs to... Yeah, I don't know. I guess after 50 Cent got shot nine times, he became the big hit, you know? So who knows? After a turn where they get sparked by Jake Paul, after, maybe he's going to, you know, maybe it'll maybe it'll inspire some rise. After Tyron loses nine fights, yeah, <laughs> he's only yeah, got... He's, exactly. only, he's, he's at got six. A, he's got a few more. Man. Yeah, what a fall. But whatever. He, uh, he did his thing, I guess. He made some money, and uh, he became the meme. So... Um, just a kind of a flashback. We had Nate Robinson as our bonehead of the year last year. I don't see Tyron too far off that uh, off that pedestal or out of that slot. It pretty much went down the same exact way. So, um, yeah, I think I I have him as my I think my bonehead of the year. I think I might have a few, but Tyron Willis is definitely one of them. Like, what a <laughs> dummy. Yeah, I mean, if if we had Nate Robinson as last year's, then I think we have to include Tyron in there. So we'll get to that when we get to that. Though I got a, a different one, but definitely add him as a as a late entry. But uh. My uh my take this week, I think uh I think there's some some real serious beef stirring up between Francis and Gano in the UFC. I think there's a chance Francis wants to uh speak in a box and do something like that, try to get a, some sort of big boxing contract type deal. Um I've heard Dana say that after his fight, he's a free agent, which I don't think I think he has to lose, right? If you win the fight, aren't you if you win the isn't it automatically extended if you're the champion? There's there's no way he's a free agent after this fight unless like there's every time every time you win a fight you get extended for like two more two yeah. or three fights if you win a title so yeah that's if he's an active champion he has to have at least two or three fights on his contract like and every time you win it gets extended like yeah. more so well um, I feel like it would be like impossible unless there was some like special clause in, in uh, Nagano's contract because I know they've been in negotiations. So maybe to make this fight, they took a fight off his contract or something in order to get him to sign. So yeah, there's, there's some sort of bad blood brewing in and I, I, it goes back further than we thought, because if you remember when he, when he, when he was like becoming the champion, we were both like, why aren't they doing more for him to push him and why they want him to fight again so quickly? It, it all had to do with something with his management and Dana not getting along and uh sounds like now i don't where else could he honestly go like realistically he can't get he can't box like the top boxers in the world he he doesn't have enough boxing experience this is where he belongs well, I don't know. deontay wilder didn't have any boxing experience right but he was much younger yeah he was, us, right? i mean he started when he was 19 or 18 this is francis is like 35 <laughs> yeah i think if francis started mma when he was like 28 or something right and yeah he like, and he wanted to be a boxer that's what he wanted to do yeah that's what his like dream was but the yeah, way to get him into boxing after. was he had to take like mma fights basically and then it kind of all like snowballed into where it's at now um i mean regardless he could he could get some kind of boxing match where he would make a good amount of money maybe as a one-off but i don't know what's going on but it's all kind of putting the piece putting the puzzle pieces together on why they've kind of I mean, you never see like a champ be forced to defend his title after like two and a half months or three months or whatever it was when they originally wanted him to fight. And then they did an interim title with uh, Lewis and Gan that was like right away. And now they're like basically pushing him to fight again. He's fighting in January. But um, I don't know, some real tension there to keep an eye on it at the very least because uh, it always seemed weird that they 
I mean, he started out so such such a hot prospect, and um, things look so bright for him. And now it's like I don't know if he wants more money. I know the management has a serious beef with Dana, and they don't trust each other. Either way, it's pretty ugly, um, and uh, it sucks that it would suck that if anything kind of got in the way of his uh, his uh, MMA trajectory because at his age, he really doesn't have that much time to waste. No, exactly. And I'll tell you where the beef started, in my opinion. It it started when he lost the first Stipe fight. Like, he was the UFC's golden child at that time. Like, leading up to the first Stipe fight, he was the UFC was putting the promotion that we're saying he still deserves. He was getting that push yeah. up to the first Stipe fight. And then as soon as he lost that Stipe fight, literally that night in the post-fight presser with Dana, he's like, Dana's like, basically like, he is now he's never my friend like Nagano was never my friend and like just completely shut him down and just said he sucked like I, I don't remember that exactly but from what I remember he was pretty pretty hard on Nagano after that first loss and then uh he followed that up with the Black Beast yeah and Dana like doubled down and then he was kept trying to get him beat and just wanted to completely kill off France Nagano but then he started winning like he won the he beat uh, Curtis Blades. They tried to feed him too. I think they thought that was going to be an automatic loss, but he won. And then he's been on a roll again. But uh, he mowed over Rosenstrike. Yeah, Dana always holds that grudge. You know, it's hard yeah. for uh, him. But this one, you know, usually they figure a way out. Like usually Dana works like with the guys. Like remember Woodley had like the biggest beef with Dana going yeah. on. But like when it came down to it, they'd squash it and get the deals done. You know. But there's something. I think it's probably the management, like you were saying. There's something in this beef that's fueling it to go like to not be able to squash it and get the business done you know because yeah. like you said like there's everybody loves the story it's he's like probably the most promotable athlete on the roster that's not like connor already a huge star you know yeah. so like the story's there the promotion's written in and uh, and they're not doing it and yeah i think it's probably just the management's not getting along with dana and like i th that's kind of on nagano too i think like at that point right you got to tell your management like yeah, you know, we gotta make we gotta this start work. Playing. Yeah, we gotta start. You know, I, you gotta be on both sides. You know, you gotta let them know, like, yeah, I appreciate you guys trying to give me the best deal, but also like, the UFCs where I'm gonna get the best deals. So you can't fuck this up because there are no other deals like being a UFC champion. So you gotta figure it out, guys, or get new management that will. You know. Yeah, and you didn't come this far to then put it all into shambles. Like he has the belt yeah. now. Like he has. This is what you go for. This is what you want. Yeah, the heavyweight champion. That's the most profitable <laughs> belt you can have in the UFC. Exactly. Like really, unless you're Conor McGregor or something like. But as far as like, if you want a belt, if there's one belt you could pick, like you'd want to be the heavyweight champion. So, like, you got it. This is where you make your money. Like UFC is selling more pay per views than ever. You got the best story. Like, just squash the beef with Dana, and he'll make you huge. You know, just get it done. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think back to your when the beef, like you said, when the beef started. Didn't Francis kind of feel like he was pushed into those two fights, pushed into the title fight with Stipe and then pushed into the rushed into the fight, title fight with Stipe and then rushed into the next fight with Lewis? Yeah, I think there's something about yeah, and yeah, they tried to make that fight sooner than he wanted because I think it was kind of quick after his his fight before that. So yeah, I think they did kind of rush him into it, but at the same time, like I don't think he had to take that fight, but it's like if you want a title, like if you want a title fight, like you gotta yeah. be ready for it. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can't be too picky. So I don't if know. You're not the champion, you know. You gotta be, you gotta be ready for what they give you. Exactly, especially yeah, all the factors considered. But who knows? 
Um, I don't know, just something to keep an eye on because it seems like it's kind of it's legitimately kind of a boiling up to a pretty ugly point. I do have faith they'll probably figure it out because that's kind of Dana's thing. He doesn't really. At least we don't see him really break in public, but he, I'm sure behind closed doors they, uh, they're they able to uh, figure things out a little easier because it seems like they always do. Uh, just a little more to be, for, I remember from this story. like So I guess like when when Francis first came over from Africa and stuff he, like, and got into the UFC, he was like the nicest guy ever, right? And he was always working at the Performance Institute in Vegas because like, he, you know, he moved to Vegas right after when he moved here from France or whatever. Yeah. And... Um, and they said after, like, basically, I think leading up to the Stipe fight or, I don't know, sometime in there, he would just became, like, the biggest, like, diva, like, asshole in the Institute. Like, he just acted like he was better than everybody else and was, like, you know, not giving, like, anybody the time of day that he usually would and would just, like, just walk around all day at the Institute just kind of being a douche. So I think maybe that plays a little bit into it, too. I think maybe more than just Dana doesn't really like him after that. But sounds like he's... I don't know. There's, I feel like I've heard that that's kind of gotten back to him being a nice guy again, but I don't know. Maybe other people are holding grudges still. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say, and that's kind of like his his coach, his coach in Paris kind of sounds like, I mean, he's Gon's coach now, who was Francis's coach at one point, sounds like he kind of holds a grudge against him. So I don't know. I mean, it's fighting. It's always a mess. It's always like you. he left his team, and then he became the heavyweight champ, and I don't know. Like I said, it just seems like it's uh, – pretty tumultuous like it's definitely something to keep an eye on it's not like the uh you know like some of the other guys like tony ferguson always had beef with the ufc but it was always like not real it was like you know what i mean it was never really any threat of anything right so except for when they like completely screwed him over for tripping over that cable for wearing, <laughs> wearing sunglasses indoors that was kind of <laughs> fucked up that poor guy had more reason to have beef with the ufc than anybody ever but either way um yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens with Francis. He is fighting early next year, so he'll be on our when we come when we come back from our break. He'll be pretty quick on our uh, preview at some point, pretty early. So, uh, probably figure out a resolution then. Yeah, yeah, I'm interested to see how how that plays out for sure. So we'll keep an eye on it. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to our uh, our recap of our event from the weekend. We had uh, Derek Lewis and Chris Dawkins fighting at the uh, UFC Apex. Um, Black Beast Fight Week, Black Beast Podcast. We were all over this one. Not sure why Derek Lewis was ever an underdog to Chris Dawkins. Nothing against Chris Dawkins, but there's just a total difference in size, power, just flat out resume here. And uh, I mean, this was a no brainer to to us. And I I don't know. I don't understand how anybody could be uh, even leaning the other way. Yeah, it was it was a no brainer to us, but I mean, I felt like I saw a lot of people um, picking Chris Dawkins in this one. I I saw a ton of people picking Chris Dawkins actually, and I I really don't get it. I mean, like we said, like it just everything seems to be on Derek Lewis here. Like I get it. Like okay, so people say like he's uh you know a rest like Derek Lewis hasn't done well against wrestlers. Chris Dawkins can wrestle. Like well, there's like a forty pound weight. Yeah, discrepancy here. So like, he's not gonna wrestle Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis is gonna just toss him off of him like a twig, which he did. And um, you know, if people say, "Oh, he's a quick, you know, a quick heavyweight," he's gonna be able to get in and out. Like, how many people have done that successfully against Derek Lewis? Like nobody, pretty much. Like the only way that Derek Lewis has been beaten is by wrestling. Really, is by getting taken down and kind of like 
you know, pretty much given up or just lay kicks that Gan did, just kind of piecing him up from the outside. Like Gan, yeah, Gan fought like a perfect fight. He's able to get in and out. Yep. That's the only guy that's ever been able to really do that. And so if you're comparing Chris Dawkins to Gan, like that's kind of ridiculous. I mean, I do think Gan is overrated, but Chris Dawkins is also overrated. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Derek Lewis, he just time and time again, I feel like he just kind of undervalued because you do see him have glaring holes, right? But I mean, there's uh, in a matchup like this, it just I didn't see those holes like those holes. Yeah, there are those big holes, but only a few guys have been able to exploit them. And there's been some really good guys that have been very unsuccessful exploiting those holes. So like to say that Chris Dawkins is the guy that's going to be able to one of the few guys that's going to be able to do it it just didn't seem reasonable. And, uh, uh, you know, we were completely right. And he just, uh, you know, just steamrolled Chris Dawkins. He wasn't even close. Like he just walked right through Chris Dawkins punches. He just he played with him early. Yeah, tossed him into the cage and knocked him out like just black beast fashion. Then throws his cup to that guy in the crowd. Guy puts it on over his mouth and nose like a face mask. Um, yeah, he gas masked himself. Yeah, gas masked himself with Derek with the black beast cup. So that was pretty weird. That guy came down from the top ropes, the top, the top road. He was in the nosebleeds of the apex just to get a nut cup. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's probably up on eBay. He might make a pretty penny off that cup. Who knows? Yeah. Derek Lewis said it was a NFT. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm trying to sell that as an NFT. Yeah. So which we'll another have to keep an eye on that. A great part of him winning is that he gets to get on the microphone, similar to like when Platinum Perry would fight and he'd get to get on the mic after he won. But I mean, overall, I just thought that this was a perfect get right fight for him after losing that uh, interim title fight. And uh, again, he 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 decided when he wanted to take him out and he took him out and uh, nothing against Chris Dawkins. But I mean, Chris Dawkins made his debut in the UFC like a year ago. Derek Lewis has been in the UFC for like 10 years. It's like just a whole different ball game. Yeah, and he's just an animal. But, uh, yeah, I mean, betting-wise, overall, we didn't have a great card here. Um, I mean, one fight, but, uh, one fight screwed did me. Hit. Yeah, one fight pretty much screwed me. I mean, I, you know, we had the Asunsau and the Darren Elkins. We said, like, there might be value as underdogs, but we did say not to parlay those. So, I mean, neither of those hit. But I guess besides that, and then the next fight we're going to talk about, we did all right. So, yeah, I basically, I had a big parlay, 20 to win like 460 or something that, you know, our boy Wonder Boy blew up. Uh, and, yeah, that was uh, that was it for me. I called it a night, and I didn't put any, I just, I was done after that. I mean, that's just the way it goes, though. We were hot for a while. Um, the last two cards have been, we set ourselves up to be successful, and then the co-main has just, you know, shit on us. So our surefire we'll guy, see, too. Uh, yeah, exactly. I felt like so Wonder Boy Bilal Muhammad Komen event. I felt like this is where I'm gonna like start my work. Like this is my safety pick. Wonder Boy minus two hundred. He's gonna get the job done fairly easily. Everything else is gonna build off that. That's the only pick I missed on my main parlay, and um, he just got mauled by Bilal Muhammad of all people. I I refuse to give nothing against Bilal Muhammad. I mean, I guess it is because I refuse to give him credit. I think Wonder Boy is just old and. Uh, I think age is finally catching up with a guy that relies so much on fast twitch. And he started off, the first 30 seconds of the fight. I was like, I literally said the wonder boy's putting on a clinic here. And then it all went downhill from there. Yeah. To be fair. Um, one thing I think maybe the biggest factor in this fight is that I think in the bigger octagon, if we weren't in the apex for this fight, I think wonder boy pieces up Bilal Muhammad and wins, uh, pretty easily maybe even knocks him out 
But I think the with Wonder Boy's style going against a wrestler like Bilal Muhammad being in that small octagon, you know, with his with Wonder Boy's stance, like Bilal Muhammad barely has to pressure him and he's already on that line. You know, he's already within a few feet of the fence. So yeah. and you know, Bilal Muhammad used that fence to be able to trap him and take him down. Like if he had that extra space to work with and circle out, I think Bilal Muhammad has a hell of a lot tougher time to uh uh, of taking him down and and keeping him there, you know, and uh, you know, basically, you want if you if you don't think that could be if you don't think that was the the octagon size is was a huge factor in this, and you just you're one of these Bilal nut huggers, which there seems to be a lot of, like you'd think Bilal Muhammad is actually like a better wrestler and a better grappler than uh, Gilbert Burns, like no, he's not, like in Gilbert Burns, like. The Gilbert Burns fight was extremely close. The Wonder Boy versus Gilbert Burns, right? Yeah. Um, extremely close. Like, it was, like, close to 50-50, like, uh, most of the fight. Yep. And uh, he had trouble keeping him down, Wonder Boy down. He had trouble getting him down. But that was in the bigger octagon. Like, Blah Muhammad was able to take him down and keep him down with, with ease. Like, there was no... And maybe Stephen Thompson. I don't think he's... Gone, there's that big of a swing in his performance just from yeah downhill from those two fights. So I think it was definitely partly the octagon size is like a huge factor in this. Yeah, whatever it was, I was I was perplexed because I uh, I thought that this was my safe my safest pick of the night, and it uh, turned out two weeks in a row safest pick of the night ended up being a one way uh, one sided beat down the wrong way. Yeah, and it was yeah it sucked it sucked watching it. I mean it just Wonder Boy. I mean. He used to get up, you know, he'd get taken down, he'd get up. It's like it's like he forgot how to get up from a takedown, you know? I don't yeah. know what the deal is here. It's not like the grapplers are getting that much better. Like, he's, he it's he faced, people are saying, like, oh, he was only good against strikers. But, I mean, he faced primarily strikers, but he has faced grapplers, like, a decent amount, and uh, and he did de- and he did good against them, you know? I mean, Tyron Woodley, he was he's a good wrestler. He could take yeah. you down. I mean, he didn't try, but he did take... In the first fight, he for sure took uh, Wonder Boy down a few times. Yeah, and had him some deep submissions. Uh, yeah, exactly. And Wonder Boy was able to get back up and get get out of it and stuff. But uh, yeah, this one it just uh, you know it's just not happening. It's like he completely forgot what to do to to get back to his feet. So yeah, it was a tough one for my boy Wonder Boy, but uh, we'll see him bounce back. I'm sure he'll probably get a, a little better matchup. Bilal Muhammad will move up. I think he's in the top five this week now. So. He'll uh, he'll be fighting somebody. How weird is that? <coughs> yeah, that's a joke. We're in a weird place with some weird rankings right now, but let's not uh, let's not ripple all too hard. Uh, good victory for him, and uh, we'll see who he gets next. But uh, Amanda Lamos versus Angela Hill. This one was questionable. I did have this one on my parlay, so I'll take it. But felt like Angela Hill probably won this fight. I felt like she run rounds two and three. Judges saw it the other way. Lamos ended up winning the fight by decision. She dropped Angela Hill in the first round. Solid front kick to the face. Definitely lost round two, but uh, I actually one judge had a 30-27, but uh, round yeah, three. But I was thinking, do, did we see that scorecard? Is it possible that judge had a, a 10-8 for Lemos in the first round? Because everybody's saying it's the worst scorecard ever, but uh, if uh, if it's a 10-8 in the first round and uh, Angela Hill in the second and uh, Lemos in the third, then that's not as bad of a scorecard as... That's given Lamos all three rounds, right? Would that be a twenty nine twenty seven though? Uh wait. Ten, somebody I didn't I, I think somebody had a thirty twenty seven. But either way, the 
I mean, did did Angela Hill drop her in the third round? Was that like she elbowed her? But did was that did it actually? My thing was I didn't see it close enough to know what did she actually drop her or did was it just like a slip or something? That third round was close. That could really have gone either way. Oh no, that was a slip. She didn't okay. drop her. So then I'm pretty sure at least. Yeah, I'm so like ninety percent sure. Yeah, I wasn't sure, and I don't even know that they showed a replay. So I was like, well, if she dropped her, then it's definitely a, hill, a round for Hill. It was a, the third round was close. Actually, the whole fight was uh, close except round one where Lamos dominated. So. I'm not going to lose sleep over it. Angela Hill has lost uh, quite a few split, close split decisions that it seemed like she was in in the running for. But um, like I said, I had Lamos on my parlays, and I was fine with it. Um, not a huge Angela Hill fan. She's like uh, one of the stars of women's MMA, and her career record's like ten and nine now. So yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. weird. I don't I don't know where. I mean, she is a good fighter, right? But uh, like you can tell, she does have yeah, skills, she's but solid she and scrappy. A lot. Like. She does fight like all the all the best fighters she fights. So it's not like she ever takes an easy fight, really. So, I mean, that has a little bit to do with it. But, yeah, I do think she's like kind of overrated. And uh, I thought Lamos, I don't think it was as uh, as awful of a decision as most people are saying. I mean, if two of the judges said gave Lamos that third round, it was really close. I think, like you said, the factor would be did Angela Hill drop her or not. Well, guess what? Those judges are right there. Like they have the best view to see if she got dropped or not or if it was a slip. So, yeah. Um, you know, if two of them went with the, it was a slip, it was probably a slip over a, a knockdown. Yeah, and I'm fine with that. So, all good with me. Um, Rafael Sunsau versus Ricky Simone. Like you said here, uh, Sunsau had was a pretty big underdog. Uh, Ricky Simone just kind of put it together. And actually, Ricky Simone's striking looks a lot better. He ended up knocking out a Sunsau. So, um, part of this could be age. Sunsau is pretty old now, almost 40. And uh, Ricky Simone's kind of coming into his uh, coming into his prime here. I thought he looked pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, guy like a Sun Sao, he's proven this, these are the guys you have to beat if you want to move up the rankings. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this one we had a Sun Sao, but we obviously we we talked about the risk in this one. We uh we knew it was uh gonna be a tough fight for Sun Sao to win. I just thought it would be a close decision, and obviously wasn't. I think a Sun Sao is a little more far gone than uh, I initially kind of thought. But uh, yeah, Ricky Simone, he did look good. Not taking anything away from him either. Um, good performance. I I don't think he is the uh, the fighter. Some a lot of people seem to be making him out to be after this win. Like they're talking about title contender type. Yeah, that's type crazy. Guy. I mean, that's crazy. You're at one thirty. You see how stacked that division is. Like, there's no chance, right? Yeah. Like it. It. Yeah, he's on a little bit of a run. He's a decent fighter. Uh, he looks like he's improving, but you know, you're in one of the most stacked divisions in the UFC. Like you're not, you're not a title contender, like just yet. Like you, you got a lot. If you want to even think you're in title contention, like you have like, you just entered the top 10 of the most, one of the most 15. stacked divisions in the UFC. Yeah. Top 50. You got a long ways to go before you're talking about title contention here. Like a long ways. It's not one where you can like get a win like this and you're one or two fights, good fights away from a title shot. Like you still got like three or four hard fights yeah. before you can even think about it. Like, Bad matchups. Good luck. Exactly. Yeah. No, he's actually still ranked behind Sean O'Malley, which caused a little stir today because I think Sean O'Malley's like 13 or 12 and Ricky Simone's one behind him. So people thought it was uh, strange rankings, but whatever. We'll see how it goes. Maybe those two will finally cross paths. I don't know. They've been He's been calling for him. So um, actually called him out in the octagon. So. We'll see what happens. Uh, Carlos Diego Ferrer versus Matus Gamrat. I just think uh, Gamrat's the real deal here. I thought uh, I thought this would be a closer fight, at least in the first round, but because uh, Carlos Diego Ferrer is just dangerous everywhere. 
especially on the ground. I mean, dangerous to get from anywhere to get you on the ground. But uh, Gamrat just seems like the real deal, which is what we uh, kind of expected. Yeah, he, yeah, this Gamrat, he kind of came out of nowhere, right? I mean, at least for me. Um, I mean, I, I, I've, I remember like kind of his more recent fights, but uh, I feel like he's really good, and and uh, I just haven't seen as much as I feel like I should have, you know. Um, yeah. It's oh, he only has. This was only his fourth fight in the UFC. He's, uh, he lost his first fight. It was a split decision. Super close decision. A lot three. of people thought he won that decision. Yeah, and he's been winning. Like he beat Scott Holtzman by knockout, Jeremy Stevens by submission, and now Fiera by uh, knee to the body. Right, and yep. then uh, I guess there was there was a little controversy on the stoppage. I I heard the who was the ref on this? Maybe Mark Goddard or someone uh, was kind of like self-critical, saying he shouldn't have stopped it. I guess. Uh, you know, the need of the body, like Fiera said verbally something about it, it hurting or said something and then he stopped it. But, uh, I don't know. I didn't think it was that bad. Um, and it is what it is. So yeah, I think he was, uh, this was going to Gamrot no matter what. So yeah, he might as well stop it. Carlos Diego Ferreira has one round in him. So if it wasn't, uh, unless it was in the first two minutes of the fight, then, um, it doesn't really matter. And even then I don't remember exactly where it was, but, uh, it was uh, it didn't. I'm not gonna lose any sleep over it as well. So, I'll move on from it. And uh, good win for Gamera. Like you said, you have to pay attention to him because he seems like a serious contender. <clears throat> All right, next one up, we got Cub Swanson, Darren Elkins. This was one where we were back and forth on. We were kind of texting about it. I think we kind of uh came to the conclusion that Cub would probably kick his ass for the whole first round, and then if he's if uh, Darren Elkins survived that. He could possibly grind out a, a real, real gritty victory, but um, Cub just kicked his ass in the first round and didn't go. It didn't get past that. So it's been a long time since we've seen Elkins get his head taken off. But uh, a guy like Cub can still do that to people. So uh, good win for yeah. Cub Swanson. Cub, I mean, I he's kind of been having long layoffs here, so you kind of forget like how good he is. And then he also has these fights where. Sometimes he just doesn't show up, or people yeah. kind of expose him. Well, that um, so Giga Chikazi was Giga Chikazi yeah. fight was bad, bad, yeah, exactly. But this Cub Swanson that we just saw, he looked unbelievable. He looked like a vintage Conor McGregor out there. Like you know, he was light on his feet. He was setting up strikes well. He looked, uh, you know, he was striking from weird angles. Target was, practice. Uh, yeah, he looked unreal out there. Like uh, he looked as, as good as I can ever remember him looking. And uh, he's had a long career of really good fights. He just completely lit up Darren Elkins, and uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a great performance. And he, it seems like he's got some uh, some more in the tank, you know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, they kind of set it up like he was about to retire, after, I, didn't they? Plus, he said he said maybe the most ruthless interview line I've ever heard. He said something about like wanting to remember the moments he spends with his kids, like after he just knocked out like the 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 like all time leader of CTE. <laughs> yeah right like we know darren elkins has take like the damage has taken the most damage he's he's like the ceo of 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 cet and uh cte and uh cubs like yeah i don't want to be that guy who can't remember his moment spending time with his kids yeah for real completely ruthless he completely destroyed him in and out of the octagon it sounds like and uh yeah um cub just unreal and uh darren elkins it seems like the uh the damage might be catching up with him, unfortunately. At least for now, he's he's known to bounce back. But yeah, that was a uh, that was a pretty big beatdown. 
Um, speaking of beatdowns, we had Gerald Mearshart and uh, Dustin Stolfus, classic Gerald Mearshart. Guy takes a pretty good beating and keeps on going and um, ended up pulling himself out of submission victory of a fight that it looked like he was going to lose. So uh, kind of a guy that, like, I don't know, like you don't have tons of faith in Gerald Mearshart because he is liable to get knocked out or beat up or whatever, but uh, he's crafty, so he can get it done occasionally, and this was one of those times. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I thought um, I thought there was a small chance we were going to get a split decision win here if we didn't get the finish in round three, but I thought it was more than likely that Stolfus was up two, two rounds going into the third and we needed to finish. I mean, I thought this was blowing up the parlays for me. Yeah. right then and there on this fight but uh yeah he uh Mearshart, he's a guy that uh yeah he never gives up he gets uh he gets wins when he needs them you know so um yeah he has you know quite a few i think third round submission wins so i i'm just looking back at it like uh darren win he won in the third round by uh, rear naked choke trevin giles he beat uh in the third round by uh by guillotine um so yeah i mean it's not not something that never happens for him so yeah he's a he's a guy that's going to take you to uh take you to the bell and if you're not going to be ready to fight the full 15 minutes you you know he's a dangerous guy to fight so yeah it was cool to see him pull it out uh in a uh you know a fight that he may have been losing so yeah it was a good win for him i thought absolutely but let's be honest like dustin stolfus i don't think he should have been down two rounds to him like or even close to being down two rounds like stolfus has looked pretty pretty trash so far in the ufc yeah he doesn't look good um, but yeah, and again, like Gerald Mearshart's been there just forever. So, I mean, the guy's got like 50 fights. Um, so yeah, another win for him. He's a savvy veteran. So see what he does next. Um, Charles Jordan, our boy, Air Jordan versus, uh, Andre Ewell. People slept on Charles Jordan and he let them know who, why he's, uh, he's Air Jordan. He, uh, looked really good out there. He was a minus 200 favorite. So it's not like he was, uh, it's not like he was, uh, you know, completely disrespected by the odds makers or anything, but he looked good. He's a super exciting fighter. Um, the guy's just all all action. Yeah, he's all all heart. You know, sometimes it gets in the way of it uh, of wins. I think for him a little bit, he gets uh, takes a little more risk than he needs to. But uh, he was completely dominating this fight. He he was able to take the risk. Andre Ewell was just uh, you know not ready for for the Jordan for Air Jordan. Yeah. Um, he just, uh, yeah, he steamrolled him. I mean, he put on, he didn't get the finish, but, uh, he, you know, he did about as good as he can without getting the finish. He was just bringing it to Andre Yule at the end, yelling in his face, um, and just, you know, completely destroyed him. Great, uh, great performance for, uh, Air Jordan. You know, unfortunately, like we need, uh, yeah, for the 2021, we need who, who has the JLT nickname belt right now? Juicy um, J, right? Yeah, yeah, Julian Arosa, right? We need him to get a fight. I need, we need some, you know, we might have to, uh, we might have to uh, set up an interim title or something. He's here. lined up to fight Steven Peterson on February fifth, twenty twenty two. Do we got a nickname for Steven Peterson? I don't know. Please tell me Steven Peterson's the guy with the tat, the Superman tattoo on his chest. Here he is, Steven Peterson. Oh yeah, Ocho. that's our guy. Steven Ocho Peterson. Uh, I don't know if Ocho. The Ocho. <laughs> I don't know. If, uh, I don't know if the Ocho sounds like a guy that should have the belt, but Julian Arosa is a is a comfortable minus two thirty five favorite right now. So Juicy J could hold on here. Um, Trying to remember the last time we saw Steven Peterson, just to kind of preview our uh, next. Oh, he he's the guy. 
He beat up Chase Hooper, I believe. Oh, we were there. Oh, okay. We were on our way there. We weren't there. We were watching in the car. There, yeah. I remember this. Yes. I remember this jabroni now. Yeah. Oh, no. Steven Pearson or Steven Peterson? Peterson. Peterson. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so, I mean, I basically just want Aaron Jordan to get the belt back. So, I'm hoping that that um, Juicy J loses it. And Well, they're never going to run it back, right? Like, no. I mean, uh, the belt, it's not like they're actually thinking about the nickname belt, right? Like, So, uh, I'm hoping that Juicy J loses it. We can get a matchup versus Aaron Jordan again. He can win it back, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll figure it out. I mean, we kind of are in control of the rules, so at any time we can just do whatever we want, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean the UFC does whatever they want. So why can't we? But um, in term, yeah, so also in term belt we'll title. A, yeah, exactly. We'll do a little announcement here. I think we were discussing a little bit in the chat, um, but it sounds like in 2022 we are um, gonna have our second JLT belt here on the line. We're uh, gonna start up the JLT Fat Boy division and uh, and create a belt for it. So. Um, I think, you know, I think Ty Tuivasa is someone I'm looking up to line up for, yeah, uh, next fight. for the uh, inaugural uh, fat boy belt if he's up against another fat boy in his next fight. But uh, we shall see. Yeah. And if they take a fight, uh, let's say so we're going to have them like some of these guys are kind of teetering on fat boy versus real heavyweight. If they go up a division and fight a real heavyweight, say say Ty Tuivasa somehow ends up in the octagon with like Curtis yeah, Blades. Yeah, like a non-title fight, right? Yeah, yeah, it'll be non-title, so he'll still... Re- it's like when Anderson Silva like went up to uh, 205. Exactly. So, yeah, exa- yeah, that's exactly it. So, uh, it'll be like any other belt, basically, is my point, and they can they can kind of chase other fights while they're at it, but generally, these fat guys generally fight each other because they're basically yeah, their own division. they really do. Yeah. I mean, we had uh, Justin Taffa fight this weekend. Look, look good for a fat boy, but, you know, there's always a... There's usually a fat boy fight every single week. Yeah, just Tafa. He's like, he's not gonna. I don't think he's like a title challenger for the fat boy. No, no, no. He's like, uh, he's like a good, like solid, like gatekeeper to like maybe the top five or so, top eight. He's like a top five guy, I think. Yeah, and respectable, of course, but um, yeah, he's not like a. Yeah, I think Tai Tuivasa might be one of our. We'll have to look it over again and see where things are at. But his next fight very well could be for the fat fat boy title. So is Derek Lewis in the fat boy division? I don't think so. I think he's too strong. Yeah, that's true. I think he's just too strong. Like, you need flab, right? Yeah, like, yeah. He doesn't necessarily have flab. Like he's pretty like he's, he's like solid. Yeah, he's solid. I think he's too strong, solid, and strong. Like he does it. He he looks like he incorporates a treadmill in his in his fight camp, which is pretty much the uh, cutoff, the limit. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that because I think that uh. That belt will be a fun one. But uh, we got one more fight to uh, cover here. We got uh, Raquel Pennington, Macy Chazen. Uh, he nailed this one here. Uh, Raquel Pennington ended up winning by submission and uh, getting us all off to a good start on our parlays. But uh, it was a uh, good performance for uh, Rocky. Yeah, she nailed this one. I, she did exactly what I thought she was going to do. I mean, I saw, I was getting a little nervous, like, throughout the week, I was listening to some other podcasts, and, like, people were kind of on Ch- Macy Chisholm, just because uh, she is tall, she is long for the division, right? And she does have that tie clinch that looks kind of dangerous at times against uh, somebody who's trying to clinch you. Um, so, there was reasons, like, she might she had might have had a chance, but uh, I, I just thought Raquel Pennington had the, you know, ability to do what she needed to do, and she, she was able to execute, you know, and they're not always able to, but, uh, yeah, we got the win there. Yeah, and I was happy with it, but um, let's just put it this way. 
I didn't have a horrible night with picks. I mean, we did pretty well on picks, maybe not so well on parlays, but um, it uh, doesn't matter now. That was the last card of 2021. It all resets and starts over. However we did this year is uh, in the past now, and uh, the uh, the canvas is cleared to start for 2022. So that was our last recap, kind of our last uh, breakdown of our how we did on our picks and what we uh, where we went wrong. But uh, we're starting over, and so as far as uh, as far as we're concerned, we're undefeated now in 2022. Yeah, right. Let's go. All right, then we'll move on to our uh, our our. Uh, Best and worst of awards. So first, we'll run through 2020 and see kind of like uh, looking back. And these are our reigning champions here. Last 2020 fight of the year was Whaley Zhang versus Joanna uh, and Jacek. Uh, you're going to notice a theme here on some of these fighters who had great 2020s. Not necessarily the best 2021. So uh, we haven't seen Joanna since then. Whaley Zhang lost two fights in 2021. Um, not saying she looked horrible in her second one. Her first one wasn't great, but um, 0-2 in 2021. So... Uh, kind of a uh, fall from grace there. Fighter of the year 2020, my boy Davis and Figueredo. This was unanimous. We both agreed on it. Um, he had a good fight in 2021, I believe. Was uh, was his first fight with Moreno in 2021? I think it was. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it was at the beginning of the year, right? So that was a draw. And then we saw him in person get submitted by Brandon Moreno. Tough loss. Um, I think he's, uh, he's uh, gearing up for a big 2022. But so far, 2021 was not so great for him. Just bleed fighter of the year, Kevin Holland. He had uh, five fights in 2020, four knockouts, three performance bonuses. Didn't go so well in uh, 20, uh, 2021. I think he w- didn't win a fight in all of 2021, which is a uh, tough look for a guy that was uh, willing to take pretty much fight anybody anywhere. I don't think he got a victory in 2021. So um, Kevin Holland kind of had a uh, giant 2020 and a pretty low 2021. Uh, bonehead of the year, Nate Robinson. I think uh, you can kind of see the parallels here between Tyron Woodley. Same punch, knocking him out, but knocking both of those guys out. Pretty big step up. Breakout fighter of the year 2020 was Kevin Holland again. Don't need to go into that anymore. And Brandon Royval, who I don't know if his fight with Kai Car France was in 2021 or not. He he's been pretty he's done pretty been pretty decent down there. I think he uh, lost his last fight. Uh, I don't remember who it was too, but. Either way, Brandon Royvelle still a guy to keep an eye on at the 125. Event of the year, UFC 249, Ferguson Gaethje. Awesome event. Pretty much the comeback of uh, of the UFC after the after the pandemic. Rookie of the year, Kamzat Chemayev. Self-explanatory there. And JLT knockout of the year, Joaquin Buckley versus Impa Kassanine, who's no longer with the promotion, got cut. Joaquin Buckley had a tough 2021. He got knocked out at least once. And... Uh, Honorable mention, Cody Garbrandt versus knocking out Rafael Sunsau. Uh Obviously self-explanatory, Cody Garbrandt, very rough 2021. So if that trend continues, all the names we're about to say are going to have terrible 2022s, but <laughs> let's... Yeah, right? Like, it is pretty crazy. Like, Kevin Holland... Everybody. Just completely... Yeah. And the one we had pointed out, like, Cam's at Chimaev, yeah, you... Uh, he was retired for ten months or eleven, like ten months out of the out of twenty twenty one. So he was almost included on, Physically, on the list of downfalls. You Physically, know? he had the worst twenty twenty one out of everybody. Right? He got he got yeah he got retired by COVID. Long then, COVID made a comeback. Yeah, uh, looked great in his comeback though. So uh, kind of wipes the slate clean for him. But um, we'll. Uh, so if that trend continues, we'll be just absolutely cursing everybody we're about to name off here. But let's, uh, without further ado, 
and uh, bestow our curses upon these guys. Let's start with our JLT fight of the year. I got two here, kind of deciding between them both. So I'll say my two, and if you have one, then that'll make it the unanimous winner. I got Gaethje Chandler as my one, and my and Jan Sanhagen as my one A. So is one of those your fight of the year? Yeah. So I had two as well, and I had uh, I had Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler, and I had Max Holloway versus Kelvin Cater. Oh, nice. Yeah, I had a. I actually have a note underneath here. Individual performance fight of the year, Max Holloway over Calvin Cater. So we're a three-way tie, kind of. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, that is true. Like Calvin Cater, like didn't do much to make that fight of the year, but it was just, I mean, so impressive for me for single, Max Holloway. Just like yeah, single greatest performance I've ever seen in the octagon. Yeah, I was first event of the year too. I, th- so. I believe. So that really started off 2021 nicely, but uh, that was first event of the year. So, uh, yeah, um, let's move on to our best best and worst fighter of the year. So I actually have three, well, two and a half for, oh, I'll let you go first for this. Who do you, who do you got for best and worst fighter of the year? So best, I got Kamara Usman. Um, I just went with Juan. We just went Kamara Usman here. And worst we're gonna we're gonna say Leon Edwards. I mean, <laughs> it's absolutely. And let me explain this a little bit because I know there's probably be some haters on this one, but it's absolutely ex- insane that somehow Leon Edwards has lined himself up for a title shot after his 2021. Leon Edwards has basically didn't win a fight in 2021. He so he got he no contested Bilal Muhammad, poked him in the eye when he, when Bilal was about to. Uh, you know, start taking him down like like he was doing to Wonder Boy, and uh, so as soon as he saw the danger coming, he poked him in the eye, ended the fight, and then um, he got knocked out. He, he got he got beat, uh, you know, in in the in the Nate Diaz fight, two sixty three, like, and yeah, cause we were there, and uh, yeah, he just basically lost. He you know he lost that fight. Like if it's in the streets, or anything he lost that fight. Like it was uh you know he, the biggest. You did nothing the entire fight. Nate Diaz just. You know, anybody that thinks about that fight for the for the rest of the time is going to remember Nate Diaz almost knocking you out in the fifth round and not that you won the fight. So, like, I don't I don't see how those two performances in 2021 set him up for for the next title shot versus Kamaru Usman. I get it. Like, there's he's kind of Kamaru Usman starting to kind of clean out the division a little bit. But uh, I think there's other guys like besides the guy who's who's done nothing and is complete fraud and uh, a bum and scared to take most fights. All right, then I can't argue with that. I also have Usman as my fighter of the year, but I have him tied with Oliveira, and actually Oliveira is connected to Derek Brunson as well um, because they're blonde hair brothers. So blonde hair brothers had a great year, um, but I do give the edge to Usman because um, he fought more fights. He fought three fights, but he fought one of my worst fighters of the year. I have have Jorge Masvidal as one of my worst fighters of the year, not because he's actually one of the worst fighters, just because he had a tough year. Um, got knocked, got flatlined. Uh, first time we've seen that happen. And uh, really, he should. Uh, I actually had Conor McGregor's honorable mention for just having a terrible year. Not that not that he's the worst fighter, but pretty terrible year for him overall. Um, really, basically, he really couldn't have mapped out the year worse, if you know what I mean. That's kind of how I factored it into being a being a yeah as an honorable worst mention. fighter of the year. We're not literally trying to find the worst fighter in the UFC in 20. You know, we're just trying to, yeah. you know, find a guy with a big name that's like didn't have uh, a great 2021, you know? Yeah, and that's how, that's how I was factoring it in with uh, 
basically he had the worst planned out 2021. Like he thought it was going to go one way and it ended up going disastrously the other. So <clears throat> I think we got to uh, anoint Usman the uh, fighter of the year as far as that's concerned since we both had him on our on our sheet. I think Oliveira is still a decent honorable mention, but I, I th- thought that the Tony Ferguson fight was in 2021. That was actually in 2020, so... Uh, he only fought twice this year, Chandler and then Gage, or Chandler and then uh, Poirier. So um, this was Dustin Poirier's prize to win, by the way. But he uh, he lost it at, yeah, right. at the last second. He would have been like definitely unanimous fighter of the year, even though I think Usman probably fought better competition. But I would have said that Poirier's wins were more significant. So um, yeah, and as far as worst fighters, did you have any other ones on your list? I didn't really. I just kind of was going through and like who who did a bad job. Honestly, Tony Ferguson could be on this list because he lost to Benil Darius. I guess he lost to uh, Oliveira last year, but he's just been like a, an absolute shell of himself this year. So I don't know who else. Uh, yeah, I had uh, I had one more, and this was just like uh, not like worst fight of the year. Like he fought that bad or anything, but uh, just like maybe like m- worst year for a fighter. Uh, is what we shouldn't more name it instead of worst fighter. Yeah, that's probably a little more appropriate. Uh, I'm going to say Chris Weidman. Um, You know, he's talking all this smack. He's making his comeback, and uh, he gets in there and and shatters. He literally fought for uh, 10 seconds uh, in 2021 and had the most devastating injury of the year in the entire UFC. So that's, uh, that's a pretty bad year in my opinion. Yeah, and Walsh just throws teammate Aljamain Sterling in there for like winning the belt under the worst circumstances of all time, and yeah, and refusing to defend it. <laughs> the, yeah, we could we could probably go on with this one for a long time. Yeah, that could be like worst, like like Aljamain Sterling's like worst, like uh, like just the worst, worst damage to their reputation. Like basically, like you know, like he was a guy that a lot of the Funk Master, like a lot of people liked, and he's like kind of universally hated at this point, like for. For the for no fault of his own, I mean, kind of because he's like yeah, just he got that surgery, which was incredibly stupid. I think in hindsight, like not even in hindsight, because I think people were saying it at the time, like that's a that's a surgery you shouldn't get until your career's over. But uh, he wanted to hold the belt for a little bit longer. I guess it was worth potentially ending his career to uh, to keep it uh, a little bit longer. But you know, I I don't know if anybody told him you get to keep the belt for the rest of your life after you lose it. They don't. You don't come and take it from you and give it to the next guy. So yeah, he. Uh, I would say not worst fighter, just the worst. Just take fighter off of it. like who is the worst. But if you want to say worst fighter, like since speaking of a guy in that division, Marlon Marias has had a horrible fall from grace. Yeah, yeah, that's been like multiple years compounding at this point too. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there. So yeah, we need to work on that one and kind of adjust it and like lay out the parameters better. But we'll uh, we'll record these as our as our official picks. So. Uh, move on to our our most prestigious award, though the uh, Just Bleed Fighter of the Year. Um, I guess I'll go first for this one. I got the uh, UFC newcomer Michael Chandler as my Just Bleed Fighter of the Year. I think he uh, I think he takes this honor very seriously, and I think he did a good job to uh, secure this secure this uh, secure the win or the nod for me. Who's yours? Yeah, I got a. Uh... I like Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler is a, is a good pick, I think. But uh, I got Max Holloway as my JLT fighter. Definitely a good. I just think he he caused more bleeding and damage True. than uh, than maybe anybody else. And he caused more bleeding and damage in a single year than maybe anybody else in the in the history of the UFC. Like the amount of strikes and complete like 
total damage he did to uh, to um, uh, Kelvin Cater and then Yair Rodriguez. Like, yeah, he completely fucked those guys up. He he hit like landed like you know. I think those both of those fights are like top three or top five in significant strikes landed. At, you know, most significant strikes landed in a match and. Uh, yeah, and they were both in the same year, so that's pretty insane. Yeah, and that picture of uh, him landing that punch on Cater where the blood's just spraying everywhere, it's pretty iconic. So um, I'm good with that one. I do think uh, definitely Chandler's another was a uh, solid runner-up as a guy who kind of shoots for that shoots for that title. I think that's kind of what he's going for in his fights, win or lose. Um, I was trying to think if there's a few other good ones. Obviously, Gaethje's at, like, Just Bleed Jesus. He's like the the Just Bleed yeah. champion of all yeah, time. He's the, he's the goat of Just Bleed. Yeah, so as far as if you're going to fight him, you're going to be in a Just Bleed battle. Yeah, right. So any other Just Bleed guys, I, those two, I mean, I those two especially stick out. If Otherwise, I'm not even sure who. Yeah, nothing that, that like sticks out like really big. I mean, like I think like the king of like bleeding like of all time goat is like probably Brian Ortega. Like he's like... <laughs> sustained like two of the most vicious beatings and yeah he's been on the wrong end so he's been on the wrong end of some just bleeds so yeah um i guess he'd be like the uh just bleed loser but um (laughs) yeah so those two guys i guess will be our uh, our official picks and i'm perfectly fine with bestowing it upon max holloway i think you made a good point about the amount of strikes and blood he drew from other people is uh absolutely incredible so um our least prestigious award the jlt bonehead of the year you had go ahead and go first for this one. Yeah, I'm going with Tyron Woodley. We kind of kind of teased that one earlier, but uh, just a complete bonehead. I guess it wasn't in MMA, it wasn't in the UFC, but he's uh, he's still looked at as a UFC fighter, yep. and uh, he uh, you know his actions still come back on on UFC and MMA in, in general. So uh, yeah, he uh, just recently it might be a little bit of recency bias. I'm sure I can remember some some more you know huge boneheads on. You know, besides, I got Tyron, a pretty big bone. Tyron, after, yeah, after what he just did, after going from that first fight losing a fight he should he could have and probably should have won if he just would have landed more volume. But in classic bonehead fashion, he does the one he doesn't do the one thing he knows he needs to do, um, and he completely fucks it up. And then to extend that, he knows he needs to get this tattoo. He doesn't do it until it's too late. <laughs> but then he goes and does it anyway. So then he gets a tattoo of I love Jake Paul, like a huge doesn't get the fight. Like, classic bonehead move, right? And uh, then just by uh, pure luck, I guess, and it might be bad luck at this point for Tyron Woodley, uh, <laughs> Tommy Fury pulls out of the fight, and Tyron Woodley gets the fight he's been begging for um, and says he's going to redeem himself and uh, and then suffers the most vicious uh, knockout in boxing that I can remember. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he just... Uh, and then memes, and then makes memes of it. So yeah. he then commissions a meme of said knockout. So that's just, uh, just bonehead all the way around. That's like a year worth of like just bonehead moves, like one after compounding bonehead moves over the year for Tyron Woodley. Yeah, he had, a, he had a pretty tough year, although at least he didn't give any of his purse away. Uh, he, did make, he did make some money for what he did. My bonehead of the year, Paulo Costa, breaks my heart to do it but he was always bound to win this award um his total <laughs> his total uh charade for getting uh getting his fight done with marvin vittori was a i mean great fight but absolute nonsense to get to the fight ended up handing over 30 percent of his purse pretended like he didn't speak english for a while pretended like he didn't know the fight was at 185 
Nobody, I, nobody knew what he was doing or talking about or saying. No, I mean, this might be King Bonehead of like all UFC fight weeks. Yeah, yeah. For like, for just only fighting once in, in, in 2021 to be like that big of a bonehead. <laughs> a like where like you basically like fit in a full year's worth of bonehead moves and said like you fought three times and acted like an idiot all three times. You fit all of that into one one fight week. So yeah, that is pretty impressive. Like I think I think that is probably the best one. Like Paulo Costa was on another level. You know, ever since Adesanya humped him and he drank that bottle of wine before the fight, he's uh, he's been been on a huge downward spiral here. He kind of did fight three times. He he was matched up to fight at one eighty five and then one ninety five and then two oh five. So it was kind of three fight weeks. It was three fight That's weeks true. for Vittori. That is true. Yeah, but he was. Uh, he looked pretty good in I the fight. He was, he was he was supposed to fight three times. So he was supposed to fight Robert Whitaker in April of twenty twenty one. Yeah, but Costa withdrew. You, then he was supposed to fight Cannoneer. Oh, Costa withdrew from that one. Yeah, so, I mean he. Yeah, those are bonehead moves too. One he, was for he hair transplants. From, which one? Oh, the one for unknown reasons. Yeah, I think that was for hair. It, transplants. Yeah, it says so. Costa with. From the the Cannoneer fight, it says he withdrew from bout for unknown reasons. Costa later claimed he never signed the bout agreement and cited issues with his payment, while not confirming them as the reason for withdrawal. <laughs> yeah, so he was what basically he was basically an idiot all year. Mm-hmm. No questions there. So yeah, that was my uh, that was my standalone bonehead of the year. I couldn't even think of anybody that was kind of on his level. Yeah, I agree with that. And we can give uh, Paulo Costa the uh, the nod there over entertaining uh, over guy though. Wood. Although, yeah, yeah, that that is true. It was a good fight in the end. Yeah, and overall his personality is entertaining, but he's a real knucklehead. He's a loose cannon. So, um, best and worst event of the year. Uh, why don't you go ahead and give me your worst event of the year, and then I'll give you mine, and then we'll do best event. All right, worst event of the year. I got UFC Fight Night. Vieira versus Tate. Dip, got um, mine. Little, unanimous. The same one? Yep. Yeah, so, yeah, unanimous. That's definitely the worst card of the year. 11 fights on this card. 10 of them went to decision. One was won by submission. So, I mean, a classic, boring fight. Not only did, like, were the outcomes boring of these fights, like, they were all, like, shitty fights. Like, there was no name value on this card. Like, it was a, it was a rough card, so... Yeah, I think pretty unanimous that it was the worst. Yeah, it was absolutely terrible. So we're unanimous there. Uh, best one, we'll see how we do here. Uh, UFC 268, Usman Covington 2, I thought was the best card of the year. What was yours? Yeah, so I, I did two. I did a pay-per-view and a non-pay-per-view. Uh, my pay-per-view, obviously, I and I think ac- the actual best card of the year, yeah, UFC 261, Usman versus Miles Vidal 2. Like, yeah, just tons of knockouts, tons of action, like everything – was happening on this card and then Usman knocking out Masvidal in devastating fashion that's a that's a huge bonus for me seeing as uh, Masvidal is on you know the top five list the most hated fighter so definitely uh definitely a good fight uh fight card for me um my other best one non-pay-per-view was the UFC on ABC Holloway oh, that was Cater. awesome yep that um, one was awesome it was an um, yeah it was unbelievable it was just like one fight after another was all delivering I think it was you know being on ABC, a, a big channel, basic cable channel, like these guys really showed up, and uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was really early in the year, so I think people forget about it, but uh, you know, the Holloway versus Cater fight, which we already talked about somewhat, like that was absolutely insane, and then 
Um, there was also like a, a lot of other fights on that one that was good. Let me see if I can pull it up real fast. Um, yeah, and a, a sick vibe to it. Like it was like a it was like a pay per view. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was just back and forth. It was a uh, oh yeah, Carlos Condit versus Matt Brown was the co-main, which was a decision that was like one of the only decisions. Though yeah, Santiago Ponzinibbio uh, versus Lee Jingliang. Right? Yeah, Lee Jingliang shut his lights off uh, in round one. Um, you had uh, Alessia DiTrico versus Joaquin Buckley, just basically paying uh, paying Buckley back like with a highlight reel knockout, completely knocked him out stiff as a board in round yeah, one. Yeah, head kick. And yeah, and then uh, you had Punali Soriano knocking out Dusko Todorovic in round one as well. Like, and these were all like quick, like in yeah. the fight, like, it was like boom, boom, boom. Like they were all just like super quick knockouts, it's, like super devastating knockouts. It was uh, definitely an entertaining main card there. Yeah, that one was awesome. I and. We got, well, Brunson Till was on ABC, I think. There was another one that was on ABC. Um, yeah, there's two of them, and they were both towards the beginning of the year, and then they kind of abandoned it. Yeah, hopefully hopefully we can get some more of those. That was that was a cool thing. That was kind of a cool vibe to have that they had that on ABC. Again, maybe I'm just overreacting because I feel like, I mean, we started out on like Versus and Fuel TV and Spike Network, and it's just crazy to see them on the you know ABC, so... And now we get quite a few on regular ESPN or ESPN two, so it's it's been, it's come a long way. But yeah, those were those were top notch. Um, JLT Rookie of the Year. I'm curious to hear who you got for this one. I guess I'll go first, but um, this one can kind of be interpreted a few different ways. I took uh, Michael Chandler as mine again. He's kind of had a, like a solid sweep of awards for me. But guy comes in, fights his first fight in January, second fight for a title, third fight fight of the year. Hard to beat that for a UFC rookie. Um, I could see if you wanted to look, go for like a younger guy or like a younger, more of a prospect, but, um, first year in the UFC. So I counted him as a rookie. What's your, uh, rookie of the year? Yeah. Unanimous here. So All yeah, right. I did Michael Chandler as well. Yeah. Hard to top yeah, that. Rookie to the UFC. And if you're not in, you know, you know, we call MMA the U- UFC over here. So <laughs> basically as far as we're concerned, the MMA is UFC. So, uh, yeah, Michael Chandler, he was, uh, you know, in the minor leagues before, uh, he got called up to the big leagues. He's, uh, you know, an old rookie, pretty much, you know, like the the movie, The Rookie with Dennis Quaid, uh, and he came out firing. So, and to be fair, we were pretty skeptical of how he would do at the highest level. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, he hasn't he hasn't always won the fights, but he's he's delivered for you know for the most part. So, I mean, he can absolutely fight with anybody. I think he's proven that. I will he will he ever win a belt? Uh, I think his chances went way down after a lot losing to Justin Gaethje, but um, at the same time, he 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 proved he can fight with anybody, and I think he it seems like he's more interested in doing that than anything. So, for however long we have him, uh, I think he's going to be a must see TV as long as he's uh, with the promotion. Yeah, definitely. All right, JLT knockout of the year. There was a lot of good ones. I have one specific one. Um, I'll let you go first on this one. Um, but I have yeah, I, I have one that stands out to me above them all. Yeah, I got two. These are my uh, – I, I narrowed it down to these two, and uh, I'm kind of undecided. So these are like a tied basically for me for first place. I got Yuri Pro, Prohaska versus Dominic Reyes, which is absolutely insane. And I got Corey Sandhagen versus Frankie Edgar. And the winner is, I got Jerry, Jerry over Dominic Reyes as my number one. Um, as a runner-up, I would say that that, uh, that Frankie Edgar one was incredible. Um, it's hard to top that. That was like a, a I mean, I mean it's, we're splitting hairs at, that, at this point, you know what I mean? But 
Um, yeah, like there was no Joaquin Buckley like yeah, type knockout. There was no like, runaway so, like, winner of like knockout of the century. Yeah, but both of these were like <laughs> super slick, like the uh, spinning back elbow uh, for Yuri Prohaska was just you know unbelievable. And you know what what was it? I like a wheel kick or something that Corey Sandhagen threw. It was uh, flying knee. It was great. Or yeah, it was a flying knee. That's and it was out of was. nowhere. Yeah, flying knee, and it was like. It wasn't like one of those like little fly knees where it's like really close. Like he like flew, yeah, at, like legitimately like flew to Frank Yeager's chin and knocked him out cold. And it was, was a walk like, off. Sick. It was a sick walk off. Yep. I uh, yeah, and so was the Yuri Prohaska one. So I think like a walkout's pretty necessary to be my knock. Like yeah, I saw a lot of people. I I was looking at them and a lot of people I saw on the list had uh had Usman versus uh versus Masvidal as like one of their top knockouts, but uh I. That wasn't a walk off. Like he didn't, and he wasn't even knocked out cold until the follow up strike. So like, I, I want to see knocked out cold, one punch walk off KO to be my knockout of the year. You want to see death basically because Dominic Reyes yeah. was dead. Yeah, <laughs> he was very I see limp, this, like hovering around his body and then go back into him before he wakes up. You know, you want to see Tyron Woodley level knocked out. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so so I guess Jerry takes this one. Uh, obviously, both good candidates. Uh, I like Jerry. He's just so chaotic that uh, that whole fight was pure chaos to begin with, and then uh, the walk, the knockout was just so violent, so wild. Um, thought it was a, a solid one. So move on to our final category: our best and our worst coaches of the year. I don't even think there's going to be any um, debate here between us. Um, I'll I'll say the best, my best coach first. See if you agree, and then I'll say we'll finish with our worst coach. Best coach, I got Trevor Whitman. I don't think we're, I think he's probably like unanimous amongst the uh, all MMA media. Two two fighters, I mean three fighters on the same card recently. All of them won. Two fighters fighting for a belt in the same night. Both of them won. Um, two fighters holding. He's got three athletes. He's got Usman, Rosenami Yunus, and Justin Gaethje. Two of them have the belt. One of them was the interim title fight next, fighting for a title next. Pretty much impossible to knock that resume. As much as I, uh, I don't know, I kind of look for holes in guys because you know how fast it can go. Where one one day you're coach of the year, the next you're the worst coach. Uh, maybe foreshadowing our worst coach, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think at this point in time, there's no questioning it. Yep. Yeah, and I, uh, it's unanimous as well. Yeah, I had uh, I had Trevor Whitman as well, and. Uh, yeah, I just think there there's nobody close. I mean, Eugene Berriman, he had a decent year as well. He's still got two champions, but uh, Israel Adesanya did lose the fight at 205, the title fight. So, like, yeah. And his guys haven't been fighting. I, I don't know. I just He was on his rise, and he was, like, you know, the big talk of the town, and I feel like he just kind of plateaued a little bit. I haven't, you know, and Trevor Whitman, I feel like it's just, uh, yeah, by far he had he had the best year for sure. Yeah, I mean he's got basically three champions in his st- in his uh, stable, so and that, that's his only athletes. So I mean maybe he's just playing it smarter than everybody else and not spreading himself too thin. But uh, worst coach of the year again, um, I think this one just jumps off the. This might be the most obvious one of them all of, the, of every category. John Kavanaugh, SGB Ireland, infamous coach of Conor McGregor, possibly the worst coaching performances of an entire of any year i mean he gives uh ronda Ra- edmund tavarian is that his name uh shabazian's head coach he gives that guy yeah, a run for his Ed- money Ed- for Ryan. destroying athletes um now he's got johnny walker at sgb ireland who now doesn't throw punches or strikes lost a fight this year he could have won conor mcgregor lost his fight to dustin poirier the first fight 
because he was too boxing heavy for an MMA fight. They didn't. They prepared for a boxing match, not an MMA fight. And then a second fight, he didn't show up any more prepared. So I think this guy, and then just the constant, like, uh, I don't even know, just the excuse making is just terrible. Like he, it's just the worst. He's like the worst flash in the pan. Got lucky because he got a once in a generation athlete that he still destroyed. And uh, really just, I don't know why anybody would be training there unless you already live there. So um pretty uh pretty scathing endorsement for me for him i think he's done a terrible job yeah yeah i got john cavanaugh as well as my uh, worst coach of the year like you said you hit on some good points he's just he's just brutal i mean he went from uh he went from having like his entire gym like after conor mcgregor broke on the scene like he basically got his entire gym on the ufc exactly right He, he had countless fighters he's down to none of them being on everybody that he got on the ufc i guess he has um uh what's his name Gunnar uh, Nelson, Johnny Walker. Oh, good. Um, Johnny Walker. Yeah, who moved yeah, there but recently? Yeah, just like he just recently got there. So like up until then, like he had basically lost every single fighter had lost uh, out on their UFC contract that he had in the UFC after that. And uh, yeah, he's just a terrible coach. I mean, I think it's like, I think it's a little bit of uh, of that he's an awful coach mixed in with like Connor's not like the same Connor he used to be. So it's also going downhill, but he's also ruining a countless other guys. So I think it is mostly he's a bad coach, but, uh, the Connor stuff, I think there's a, some built in excuses for him, you know, just, uh, just doesn't seem like Connor wants to, to do what it takes to be an elite level athlete anymore. But John Cavanaugh, as, as a coach, that's your, exactly. that's your job to make sure that they get in there and do the work. Right. And, uh, you know, you got to be straight up honest with them. If they're not doing the work, you got to tell them that and be like, you can't be fighting if you're not doing the work or I'm not coaching you. But no, but you're just going to be a yes man. Then you're not a good coach. So, yeah, he's just uh, the biggest yes man there is, the worst coach there is. And uh, uh, hopefully, you know, maybe Connor comes up and sees that and uh, and moves gyms or whatever. But it doesn't seem like he's ever going to do that. He <laughs> talked tons of shit about people doing that. So he's kind of dug himself into uh you know, stuck himself, uh, tethered himself to the John Kavanaugh train for, uh, you know, for the worst of it. Yeah. Unfortunately that does seem to be the case. And yeah, I mean, I guess Kavanaugh is kind of stuck cause he has to do whatever Connor says, because that who, that's who wields all the power you got. That's his, uh, his money train. So without him, Artem's not, Artem's not bringing home any paychecks anymore for him. And, uh, does Gunnar Nelson even fight anymore? I don't think so. I think he retired. He's definitely not fighting in the UFC anytime recently. <laughs> yeah, not so. recently. It's been a long time if he is. So, so yeah, I mean, just not a uh, – things have not been going smoothly, and it's just a uh, it's a mess over there at SGB Ireland. And I think that uh, great value Conor McGregor over in Bellator, I don't think, I don't think he's been winning either. Gunnar Nelson fought uh, – Gilbert Burns in 2019. That was his last fight. That's been um, a long time. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't. I don't really see anything about him retiring, but uh, yeah, it's been a while, so who knows? Yeah. So, uh, any other honorable mentions or anything you want to throw in there before we wrap it up? No, that's it. I think it was. Uh, I guess I'll just toss it out of here. There's a you know great 2021. It seems like the UFC just keeps you know ever since signing the CSPN deal. I mean, even before that, they were building on themselves, but it seems like it's just sent it into, you know, warp speed at this point, like the ESPN deal did. And it just keeps getting every year, just keeps building on it on the next. And it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. So I'm excited to see what we got for 2022 here. 
And, uh, yeah, I'm just pumped for another year of fight, so it should be sick. Yeah, we'll try to uh, track our bets a little better this year so we have a little more uh... – we had some, yeah we should do that i know we had some hot spots some pockets of hot spots we had uh i would say this on, on both of our behalf we've gotten fairly dialed in to where we're not missing more than a couple like almost like unexpected i mean we're, we're pretty dialed in as far as um how our picks have been lately so if i mean i don't want to jinx us but i think we've been uh we're headed to a good place as far as making picks it seems like uh things are kind of evening out so um Looking forward to uh, 2022. Yeah, it, yeah, it's like, you know, if you expect to just get the picks and you're going to get them right every single week, like, that's never going to happen. Nobody in the world can do that. Like, you know, the best sports bettors in the world, like, I think at best are like 55 to 60%, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, you're going to have off nights. You're going to, you know, you're going to go on bad streaks, you know? You're going to go on, you know, multi, you know, four or five cards where you could do, like, you know, pick pretty bad, but, uh, just, you know, if you're you just got to be winning after uh, year over year. So, yeah, when it all comes down to it, you just got to be a little bit ahead. So, yeah, it's just the it's going to come. It'll be a month. Where we'll be on a super hot streak. There'll be a month when we our picks are shit. So, yeah, but as long as they're uh, ahead in the end. So, yeah, let's try uh, this year. I'll try to put together a spreadsheet of the picks and, uh, you know, maybe just bet each of them. I got 100 bucks to see how it comes out. I mean, that's still not exactly right because. We're obviously not just going to bet a hundred bucks on every fight, <laughs> yeah. but some we bet less, on, but at least it'll give us like a better idea. And uh, we got the league, you know. we got the league tracker that keeps like usually those are our two highest confidence picks, so we can uh, we can focus on our league tracker too as well. So, but yeah, I mean, I just think uh, kind of getting a better a better system the more we do it. So I'm happy with uh, how we've uh, kind of progressed there. Yeah. Definitely. All right, then we'll wrap it up and we'll be back in 2022 for our uh, first event of the year. Whenever that is, we have a couple weeks off, but uh, we will see you when we're back. Peace. Stop.
stop homie. I go to jail if I get sacked. Yeah. So block for me. Eight ball in my corner pocket. It's on and popping. Got the whole club leaning with it. And